to Dice and a Slice. Just kidding. This week it's not Dice and a Slice. We're actually doing a review of a system called City of Miss. And so Josh and Alicia are having a little bit of a break this week. And instead you've got me. I'm Jazz and I play Skylar. And I'm Alice. I play Hendrix. And I am here with my slice of freedom because we can talk about City of Mists finally. They silenced me through episode zero. But now my time has come. <laughs> and joining us today is the fabled loft gremlin, attic gremlin, occasional provider of cakes via her mother. It's Rosie over there. Hey, Rosie. I would like to point out to everyone who might be listening that it's very interesting that you say I'm the loft gremlin because the loft is where you sleep. It is the recently converted <laughs> double layered super nice bedroom. And I'm in the guest room. On the middle floor. <laughs> that's, that's so That's true. Crazy. I'm in the attic right now, in fact. <laughs> you sleep in the attic and it's the nicest room in the house. This, this entire time, it's been a lie. I'm so sorry to all of our listeners. Actually, it's what? First floor gremlin? Converted office gremlin? Doesn't quite have the same ring to it. Okay, uh, it it's Rosie, everybody. Welcome to the network, Rosie. Hi. Bit <laughs> of ruined days. Yeah. <laughs> She's here to set the record straight. So whilst Rosie might be new for all of our listeners, she's actually a very uh, long-established friend. How long have we known each other 15 now? Fifteen years. Yeah, over that. Oh God. So yeah. So we've um, we've been friends for a very long time. We've been doing written role plays and sort of character-based uh, storytelling for pretty much that entire time yeah we did it instead of our classes in school we'd all just sit there and write little role plays to each other and then we go home to msn messenger and continue them we were role playing before we had phones that you could sneakily role play on so we just had to sneak it on paper mm -hmm. i remember you got caught <laughs> <laughs> you got caught and told to read it out and so you cried and said that it was um because you had something personal happen at home yes yes i did stay in school kids yeah stay in school kids stay in school it's don't role play through school. Yeah, just role play your way. It's fine. No, no, don't role play through school. Don't role play through school. Wait, what? <laughs> well, I'm. We're fine. <laughs> hey guys, if we're starting a new segment, can I bring in some new theme music? <laughs> So we have known each other a very long time and we have been, uh, well, Rosie was actually the one who brought City of Mist to our attention uh, about two, three years ago. I played it once with some friends, brought it to you guys because you guys are like my kind of my main chick and yeah. we never stopped playing it. That was three years ago and we haven't really played any other system since. We even converted systems we were playing into this system so we could keep playing the characters we loved in a better system. And then we brought COM over to Josh and Alicia and that was pretty much what convinced them to start tabletopping in the first place and then they went to D&D &D, and then they converted all their friends and then they uh, forced us into making a podcast and now here we are, full circle. I'm the origin of all. You are. <laughs> it all stems back to Rosie. Yeah, so City of Mists, a system that is very, very dear to our hearts. Let's talk about it. Cool, because I'm brandishing the rulebook right here. It is big, beautiful, um, gorgeously 
designed. The art is stunning. The content. Uh, well, we'll talk this about it. This is coming from a place of love, but we are going to be fairly mean about some parts. Yeah, up, up front to, to the people at Son of Oak, we have used this system for many moons many moons because we love it so much so um, any any of our criticisms just uh you know this is just feedback it's said with so much love you just owe us a lot of time so city of mists published by son of oak the game originally started as a kickstarter project um it was written by amit moshe who's an israeli um, rpg fanatic who was inspired partly by the fate system also by the infamous powered by the apocalypse system by vincent um, mogwe baker uh, they created that for the 2010 game Apocalypse World, but it spawned many, many, many systems since then. So he took a lot of that and combined it with uh, the tag system from Lady Blackbird. Um, I don't know Lady Blackbird, but I love the tag system in this game. We'll go on to explain what that is. So that's probably uh, well worth checking out. The rulebook looks gorgeous. The lead artist was Marcin Sobon, and they've just done a fantastic job. This book... It looks like urban fantasy noir the instant you glance at it and it's, it gets you really inspired and excited. Okay, so we are going to do uh, City of Mists a little bit of an injustice here because we haven't actually... Well, Alice and I haven't played the actual world that City of Mists is based in. <laughs> Rosie, I know that you did with, with our previous D&D group. Yeah, I think it was two sessions overall, but it, we did play in the proper City of Mist world, which is like a noir universe. But we've already mm. skinned it for like three separate universes um, yeah. that are sci-fi. They are um, modern kind of cyberpunk. We did a D. We've got a D and D fantasy game running. So we just reskin it every time, which just proves how flexible it is. Um, yeah, so the setting, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Rosie, but from what I can tell, it's an urban kind of fantasy noir. Um, and it's set in a world where half of the people are a kind of avatar of a mythological creature or a fairy tale character. Kind of like the um, Fables yeah. graphic novel series, if you know them. It's very, very similar to that. If you've ever played the Telltale Games Wolf Among Us, which is inspired by that series, very similar vibe. Um, and the whole city is surrounded by this mist, hence city and mist. And um, the mist is a kind of mystical entity that stops you from leaving the city, which um, it's good for the GM to be able to control the environment that they're running. Um, And it means that things aren't quite as they seem and everyone's trapped. And it's kind of up to the GM to interpret exactly what the mist is. So it's possibly a kind of purgatory or it's possibly a kind of a sci-fi 13th floor kind of a deal. Spoilers, not really spoilers. Um, So yeah, that, but we've never played it that way, but the kind of a lot of the mechanics um, for character building and character development plays off of this idea that as you go through the game, you slowly learn, who you are sort of like you find out which mythological character you are and you gain more of these powers and then as you explore who you are you some of your themes which is kind of like a a section of your powers break and you get new ones so for a while you might have invisibility and then for reasons we'll go into later in review you lose your invisibility and you gain a new set of skills instead and so you keep very fluid uh, and we've found that even though we don't play the city of mist concept it's really good for character development as you're kind of growing as a person these kind of um, aspects of yourself can kind of die when they're no longer relevant and you sort of slowly morph into someone else and it also means that you can't make a mistake Statting your character. Mm. 
And I, yeah. I know that a lot of people, part of the fun is finding out the correct way to make warlocks work the best they possibly can. You know, that's kind of part of the fun. But City of Mist is good for people who want to remain kind of light on their feet the whole time. So you get to decide your character concept. You can min-max mm. it as hard as you want by being creative. Mm. But if you end up changing your idea or you've made a mistake, it's within the context of the game that you can remove that and make it work through having them go through a growth arc or having them make some mistakes that they have a long time coming to them. And it gets you to just explore the psychology of your characters a bit more. Yeah, exactly. It, it is very um, character-focused. So we can start going into having a look at how actually building your character works as this is sort of the meat and potatoes of the whole mm -hmm. thing. This and, and the way that you're able to GM in this system are just what makes it so addictive i think we can safely say we are yes addicted absolutely to this system. yeah it is now our sort of litmus test everything is either better or worse than city of mist yeah and we always come back to city of mist because it's just it works for the way we tell stories the best yeah absolutely so this system is based on a 2d6 system and it is as alice said very numbers light in fact, a lot of these stats aren't stats in, in your sort of traditional kind of 19, 20, 16, 10 sort of thing. Numbers. It's more... <laughs> numbers. Thanks for explaining numbers to us. <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> That's number one. For the five-year-olds in our audience, we got you. <laughs> We got you. Yeah, so instead of having sort of like your charisma at nine, a dexterity at ten, that sort of thing, it works on a system of tags. Who wants to who wants to take on the responsibility of explaining what a tag is? So without just regurgitating the rule book, your character is made up of the answers to questions about their personality, their belongings, their powers, that sort of thing. So it's a few keywords of shoots fire or brave and charming and then that's just a plus one and any of these answers or parts of your character that are relevant to the subject at hand is a plus one so if your problem involves being charming and charismatic and being a good liar and um wearing a good outfit and you had a tag for all those you'd roll on a plus three so it's very much using um story driven stuff that makes your character unique as opposed to stats in a more video game Mm. crunchy numbers sort of way numbers such as two or seven <laughs> or 15 so when you um, first create a character you can pick two theme books that are mythos theme books and what that means is they are sort of supernatural powers and two logos theme books and those are kind of mundane powers so they're just like everyday things so you have like training or your sort of a defining event in your backstory or your personality those are some logos theme books and then mythos theme books include things like subversion which is sort of sneaking around superpowers or bastion which is kind of like super strength or defending yourself kinds of powers. And then within those themes, you have prompt questions to help you think of these tags to describe your character. I have some D&D &D characters that we moved over into this system. And it was kind of unnerving, yet a lot of fun to realize I could create whatever sort of spells and abilities I wanted for my cleric rather than being stuck with what I used to have. It's built into the structure of character creation that when you make up your own spells and make up your own powers, it's always going to be balanced. 
just by the sheer nature of it. So you can't go wildly off script and make something that's possibly OP because that's sort of impossible. Yeah, like you can be you can be immune to fire or you can be you can have a tag of immortal if you so wish. But that's still gonna give you a plus one, so it it can't mm. yeah, it can't get out of control. Okay, so Alice, can you just ask Rosie, really put her on the spot right now, ask her some questions uh to demonstrate how one goes about building a character in this system. So um, sort of to go through and give you guys an example, Rosie, if you could just kind of create a character on the spot. Cool. I'm going to make Larry. Larry's a plumber. Good old Larry. Okay, so what uh, is the principal ability you use to mask or hide your actions, Larry? Larry's a ninja. So that number one question is ninja powers or ninja. Yeah, just go with ninja powers. Ninja powers, yeah, ninja powers. Cool. This is just a mythos, not a logos, so it's magical ninja powers? Yeah, ninja powers, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what I said, you keep going. Yeah. Sure, magic ninja powers. Okay, so how do you use your powers to distract others? He can turn into smoke. Okay, and who is likely to fall prey to his subversive activities? The Shogun's guards. Excellent. All right. Uh, and a weakness. What psychological tendencies have you developed in the shadow or behind your mask? I'm going to say that he's afraid of becoming his father. Wow. He was also an invisible ninja. Yeah. And there we go. And it's that quick. And, you know, obviously, if you want to, you can put a lot more time and thought into your characters. But also, if you... You can lovingly craft... I already love Larry. Yeah. You can lovingly craft your Larrys you can... and make them into, like, actual Yeah, characters. but also, if you rock up to a session and you're just trying it out and you don't want to have done all your homework before you get there, you can just sit down and go, I'm Larry, I'm invisible, I tend to smoke, and I don't want to be my father. Those Those tags will work just as well as anything else so it's not like if you rush stat a D character and you can end up kind of broken and unbalanced and it's going to be very hard for you to really use your skills with this sure there might be cleverer ways to stat yourself so that you can stack your tags and make sure that you're always rolling lots of tags no matter what you do in certain areas you know there's still ways to kind of game it but you can still rock up and have a perfectly good game playing Larry and you wouldn't feel like you'd lost out on anything or like you were unable to make your roles. Yeah, I think that is um, just to throw Alicia, but also myself under the bus. Uh, we are both people, I think it's safe to say, uh, who kind of rock up to sessions a little bit unprepared. I think it's because we we like to have the GM give us a little bit of um, feedback regarding our character development. I mean, especially, I don't, I can't speak for Alicia, but I know for myself, I am very afraid of making a mistake. I don't like to get things wrong. And this just means that I can literally rock up and I've got like five seconds before game starts and I can just quickly shout out like, oh, my guy burst into fire. I want that as an upgrade. Is that okay? And then Rosie, who tends to be our GM, uh, can say yeah sure and that's it I've I've leveled up so the weakness that Larry had of not wanting to become his father um, as yes as his father was also an ninja yeah so as you're playing um, now and then uh, if Rosie were in a situation where Larry has to make an invisibility role um, but something's just happened that kind of reminded him of his father or maybe he's about to do a kind of move that he knows was his father's kind of attitude in a moment like that, Rosie can go, that's rattled Larry. He's very aware that he's like his father mm -hmm. right now. So on her next role, she can choose to say, like, I'm going to take a weakness of doesn't want to be his father. And that will be a minus one to her role. 
but then she gets a mark of attention on that theme. And um, every time you get three marks of attention on a theme, you get a level up. So it encourages you to kind of role play more, to kind of lean into your weaknesses, to kind of explore people's issues and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it just it brings in some extra chaos because you're getting weaker roles. Um, so then to level up, you either pick another tag or there are theme improvements, which are kind of fancy extra things that allow you to um, upgrade your moves and stuff in fun ways. Okay, so uh, identities and how they affect themes. Rosie? Identities are statements that you give your characters to define each theme book and who they are as people. Each theme will have an identity such as I do not kill or I love my mother. And if you act against that, you get a mark of uh, a crack on that theme. Get three cracks and that theme breaks. So what it does is it forces you to play in character or make very specific decisions against what that character normally does. So for example, if you have a doctor, they could have an identity on their doctor training theme of the Hippocratic Oath. And if they were to go against the Hippocratic Oath three times, they would lose their ability to be a doctor. It would then be replaced with something else that you work for as well in a similar way. And I will say that in City of Mist specifically, um, mythos themes have something else that's like a question to answer. Works in exactly the same way, but you're trying to discover the source of your powers and that kind of thing. I found them quite difficult to work with because the game doesn't always give you very clear examples of what's good and what's bad for a mystery, what they call it. For example, it can be, how do I use my powers to end the crime for good? And I still don't fully know how you're ever meant to understand that or make it work or in otherwise um, break that theme or grow mm -hmm. it. It's very fluffy and vague and you have to be really careful with how you word them. So I just usually use identities for all four because it, it works really well and why change it? Exactly. I think that if we were in a City of Mist world, the mythos questions would make more sense because our whole plot to be about learning about our yeah. mystery superpowers. But that's not what the story we're telling in uh, most of these games. So it doesn't quite fit in with the way that we've adapted it. It's not as it. flexible as the rest of the system. Yeah. So at first, um, the identities and the weaknesses seem like they're almost similar because it, you know, two tracks where you're getting kind of punished for going, you know, going against something or doing something wrong. But the lovely thing about them is that your identity is a core value, whereas a weakness is something that you just struggle with. And as you face your struggles, you grow. But as you go against your core values, you change completely as a person. And that's just a really nice, realistic bit of storytelling that they sneak in there with a seemingly very straightforward way of building a character. And what it does is it keeps your characters in character and dynamic or level up that theme, keep adding tags, keep adding new powers until that's a very like pinnacle self-defining thing that you can refer to as your main trait. For example, uh, Alice has a character who is a sneaky sort of invisible boy and he has hardly ever gone against anything in character for being sneaky. So that theme is now an immensely it's powerful jacked. theme. Yeah, it's jacked. Which also means that he's very much um, incentivized to never break character with those specific things because he spent so long building them up that almost as a side effect of the gameplay, he's defined himself by this theme. So that, that's how the immersion and gameplay constantly play on each other. I think a really good example of this um, from my own experience was I have two characters in a 
in the game that Rosie runs for us. One of whom, she is a character does not know who she is. Uh, she was very much a Disney princess-esque kind of girl, locked away in a tower and is now experiencing the world for the first time. That meant that because of the tags that I'd given her and the way that I wanted to play her, she was constantly going against her original identities because she didn't know who she was. And so she was constantly breaking themes and trying new things and meant that I went through lots of different theme books, lots of different tags, trying to find out how to define her. And that was sort of like the core of what her character struggle was. Whereas I am also playing a character who hasn't broken any of his themes. It's also nice for if your character has a big specific um, sort of 180 in the way they view themselves or in their growth like um, the sneaky boy character that I have um, for a while he was trying to live up to a kind of his idea of a legacy um, from his family and he had a theme that was kind of geared towards that um, and during the course of the game he's kind of realized that he needs to let that go and that's a harmful ambition for him and kind of organically there wasn't a kind of a moment of me going, oh, I don't want him to do that anymore. I'm going to get rid of this theme. But organically over time, him changing his opinion meant he was getting cracks on that identity. And then it happened to be ready to break when I wanted him to change. And that's happened a few times where you get really narrative moments where suddenly a theme is ready to break right when a character is ready to turn around. And it's like, oh, the system kind of almost tricked me into all it like it sort of sneakily made it so that this identity has been tested as they've grown almost without me realizing it and now it's hit at the exact right time and that's a really really clever element in it i think in some ways the system is much smarter than you at first think it is because you kind of look at it and go okay three strikes then the theme breaks and these are the questions that are kind of arbitrarily thrown in we'll make up a character around them and then if you take a step back and you see how um, carefully it all works, you see how specifically worded the questions are and how carefully they've timed everything for it to break. And I think it's you don't notice it first mm. run through. The character arcs that we have been on in this system have been so... I mean, it was it, it was part of the reason why then... Josh and Alicia started like getting more involved in in this sort of system and it just oh it's just you end up crying so much (laughs) and laughing so much and loving your character so much because you have to define them and search through them in order to actually get elements of gameplay but I think with with that there are limitations that I think because we've been playing for so long we are now starting to get to the point where our characters are so powerful and we've we've created so many mm-hmm. characters that I think we are starting to see um the limitations of the system um as we're kind of pushing I think we've maybe gotten more use out of it than the creators maybe initially intended because we just love it so much there's definitely a a glass ceiling um you know to leveling Mm. up where suddenly um you know you kind of think that you can keep going keep going and suddenly it, it doesn't really function anymore for one thing you can run out of tags on your theme books you can have every yeah. tag answered and every additional theme and like originally the 
setting is encouraging you to break themes. So they kind of don't think you're going to have that problem. But when you break themes, you're kind of incentive to do it. The system gives you an incentive to break your themes in that there are additional theme books you can earn when you break a theme. Um, and to get these theme books, you need to have leveled up that theme to a certain point. So, for example, if you've added five extra tags to that um, theme, those are five points you get when it breaks. And every five points buys you uh, like a special extra thing. So you get like an ally or a home base or a vehicle. So they're kind of extra goodies to unlock. Those are literally the only three examples. That's all you get. So once you've gotten yourself a home base and a vehicle and an ally, your only options are to mm. keep getting vehicles and allies until you've got, you know, like a fleet and an army. And again, there's like, there's a limit after which you're having to create your own theme books or you're having to take tags and or theme upgrades twice uh, or you know but i mean maybe we've got a skewed opinion because we don't play the game the way it's intended we play in a different universe where you haven't got a reason to keep changing your powers and so we break them less often i don't know i would also argue that level caps in general are kind of difficult to escape anyway like mm. the standard of dnd with 20 levels it's like every character yeah. level up system eventually comes to an end um so that's not necessarily a point against it in the same way as it you know other things might be i think the thing is is that i can see that the system the way that they've designed it is that they are kind of like shaking the oh there's a vehicle over here though mm. or oh you've got a base theme here or oh you could have an ally and they're just not tempting enough if if you know yeah, what I mean not special enough and I would also say that like by the time you earn those in game if you're anything like us your character's mm. now been in the world for a while and the mm -hmm. GM has introduced allies and vehicles yeah. and, and bases and that kind of thing and part of the fun of the COM is that the GM again biased has more to bounce off of you with so it's the kind of thing where like either you make your own ally and you control that ally and you can kind of tell it exactly what to do or you get to enjoy a more kind of randomized, more um, autonomous GM NPC that becomes an ally. Yeah. Like it's going to happen naturally. As you, everyone's had that thing in a party where the party of players adopts an NPC yeah. for literally no reason and that NPC is now a member of the team. And it happens every time we play any game mm -hmm. ever, with any team I've ever been in. One random barkeeper is just salty enough. That <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. He's coming with us forever. Don't care that he's got a family. Don't care what he's doing. He's our friend now. And that's even... So mm. therefore you have even less of an incentive to make your own ally. Because by the time you're at that point in the game, you've already got an ally who's probably going to be more fun. Well, I think the point of these theme books is that you have tags that reflect your relationship with that ally, or you've got tags that beef up the car or the HQ that you've already acquired in-game. The problem is there are moves you can do that allow you to put tags on objects yourself, so these books don't have much extra allure. Technically, they are better because those tags will last as long as you have the theme book, whereas tags you can create yourself only last for a scene or two at most, but it doesn't feel that way enough to for example give up your ability to fly uh, so yeah so this is a good point when it comes to inflicting damage or um affecting the world around you you have two things really uh these are your tiers 
and your story tags and they can be applied to pretty much anything. So Alice, be more uh, succinct than me. What is a what is a tear track and what is a story tag? <laughs> well, I mean, I could be as succinct as the rule book, uh, but we don't have time. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, tears and um, story tags. It took us a little while to kind of figure out exactly what the definition was between them. And this was something where we had to kind of cross our eyes and meditate. This a while, took us a while. And then we understood. Um, I had to go up a mountain and talk to a sensei. Yeah. It really did. <laughs> but basically, story tags are sort of a fact about the situation that will be sort of a plus or minus one to your roles. So for example, like in the book, it says you can knock over a barrel of oil and that makes the environment slippery. And so now there's that tag of slippery that's going to affect things. So it's going to, you know, make people have a minus one to running, for example. Um, And then you can have story tags on yourself. So someone can give you a pep talk and then you've got a story tag of confidence and then that's going to help you um, sort of deliver a speech later or that kind of thing. Um, tears are like damage um, so you can have like a tier two bonked head and then you get hit again and you've got tier three fractured skull and it's kind of like that where damage of a similar kind stacks up but changes the description so you haven't got like a tier two three four broken leg it's like your physical damage gets worse and again those are then negatives to your roles and also it's a track that people have to hack at um, when they heal you uh, if you hit tier six, you die, which sounds like it's really low, but they get there through a very fiddly system. I'm not, I'm not going to go into it. I'm not going to go into it, really. But you basically go one, two, two point one, three, three point one, three point two, four. Stop it. Oh, oh, I hate it. I'm getting flashbacks. Oh, that's number one. Ju- that is number one. It just uh, is. Oh. I wish that I wish there was another way that they could have done it. It drives me crazy. So, and the other use of tiers is that they can provide armor. So you can have tier four armor, literally, or some kind of shield or some kind of like a blessing or whatever. And people have to chip away at that before they can do damage. I just want to let everybody know that Cody, you know how he sleeps pressed up against the bars? He was pressed up against the bars, eyes closed and his tongue sticking out. Oh. Bless him. And he was just the chubbiest little monster. Roly poly Cody. Oh, smart boy. Hello, yes, you. These two have had a border collie for three weeks and he's already fat. <laughs> he's not fat! Day. He's not thin. He's beautiful. He, he's not thin, no. He's thick. <laughs> With two C's. Right, so let's have a little look at what these different moves are. So a change to the game role is used to change the environment around you such as to knock over a barrel and spill oil on the floor, or to prepare yourself for an upcoming event, like to have a makeover. So it's anything that will give you more story tags to roll later on, and to kind of set yourself up for a better success. A go-toe-to-toe roll is rolled when you are in direct competition with somebody who is roughly your equal. So you'll roll that when you are in a fist fight, when you're racing someone, when you're having a debate with somebody who is your enemy. And it's what the majority of your combat role is going to be. So, And it can be against your environment, and it can be against obstacles such as trying to jump over a chasm, because the chasm is your, is your enemy in that situation. A hit-with-all-you've-got role is very similar, except that it's something where you have a clear advantage. So you are getting to kind of summon up all your strength, all your energy, and just finish something off once and for all. And there are far fewer risks 
when you take that roll, but it's much rarer that you can do them. A convince roll is a roll that's used to surprisingly convince somebody of something. It's usually used against faceless NPCs as opposed to a rendered problematic NPC. That's more of a go toe to toe. But to convince is to sway a crowd. It's to convince a guard to let you through a door. It's anything to do with talking your way into something. But it can also involve any other skills you can think of that would be relevant. So you can convince somebody through an intimidation using your strength, or you can convince somebody through bribing them because you have tags in possessions, that kind of thing. A sneak around role is when. Again, typically you're sneaking around. Stealth, it's also lying. And anything else the GM could think of that would qualify as trying to uh, not be seen or not be recognised when you're trying to do something. An investigate role is used to figure out the scene of a crime or to get more information about reading someone's expression. Anything that involves information that you don't have that you want. A face danger role is when the GM is attacking you specifically when they set up a trap, when they set up an incoming attack you haven't seen, or it's a chance to see an attack that's coming. So it's any time you're rolling to defend. You say face danger with the same sly tone you say roll alertness. Mm. Roll a face danger. The last move is an interesting one called take the risk. And that is basically if you're doing something that you really shouldn't be able to do. It's the kind of thing where in D&D you ask your GM if you can do this and they go, sure, fine, roll it. But they know in their heads, I'm only going to let them do it if they get a nat 20 because it's dumb. And then you get a nat 20. It's that kind of roll. So if it goes wrong, the GM can punish you really, really hard. And that's kind of the main difference between these roles. Like they have different... um, ways that you can affect the world, but they're also divided by how hard the GM can punish you if you fail them. The really fun thing about these moves when rolled through the tags that make your character in a system is that you can attempt something in a whole mess of different ways. So, you know, in D&D you either have int or you don't, and if you're, you have int then you can kind of attempt anything that requires intelligence. Whereas in this game, you can have a specific education in certain areas. I mean, in those areas, you're really, really smart. That doesn't mean you can randomly translate languages or build a rocket ship. So there's a lot more realism. And it also means that you don't step on people's toes uh, in your party. There isn't that kind of stress of there being two people who are the stealthy character or two people that are the face. Yeah, like as an example, um, in the game that uh, I run with you guys, we can have two charisma characters where we have one character who's really good at making friends with people, as being professional, at being very kind of sleek and in the moment, and one guy who's a great used car salesman. And they're going to have very different roles and very different reactions, where some of this are appropriate yeah. to go in a million miles a second. Yeah, and different, different uh, as far as the GM's concerned as well, different types of NPCs will react differently to both of those characters' approaches. You know, if someone is a businessman, they might not like the second-hand car salesman because they can t- see the kind of skeezy or, um, like, approach a mile off and it might set them off wrong. However, the person who's a lot more, like, well-presented and business-like meets them on their level. So it really gives you the opportunity to interact with the GM's world in a very realistic way, which I think is why we absolutely, absolutely love it. Um, Like our um, Vampire the Masquerade game that we converted to City of Mists, I am a 
like a cowboy treasure hunter. Um, so I have a deep South guy. And so I have way more stats if I do things in a deep South kind of a manner. And so any chance I get, I will try to put some cowboy stank on whatever I'm doing. So, you know, it's just, just yeah, doing it. It really helps create an atmosphere. Yeah, so doesn't it? You just start using, so I'm, I'm more statted to use cowboy looking paraphernalia than other more sensible weapons purely because I have tags in being from the deep south and just just being like that. I think I'd like to do a special shout out to the investigate role because when I first read the rule book the very first time I played it that was what kind of stopped me. So the way an investigate role works and I think some a lot of games actually do do that a lot of smaller games that are coming out but I haven't seen it before is that you roll uh, your number of tags. So say you're investigating footprints in the dirt and you have um, an investigation. You, you're a detective as one tag. Um, you're great at following forensic evidence as another tag. Um, so you have a, a two. If you succeed that roll, you then get to ask two questions of the GM. You get two clues. So rather than the GM kind of giving you information um, that they've prepared, they just have to know the situation and then they get, they get interviewed. Also gives the players a chance mm. to take control of the investigation themselves. So they can, instead of being like, okay, you got a plus two, so you succeeded. So now you know that these footprints uh, go towards this building over there and they're by this baddie guy you've been following from the bar. Instead they can go, who is he and yeah. where is he going? Yeah, exactly. Instead of the GM pointing to a building... Um, they could even ask, like, not only who is he and where's he going, but you could maybe go, hmm, well, actually, how mm. long ago was he here? Yeah. You what know? shoes and, was he and wearing? Maybe that's What important. shoes was he wearing? Was anyone else with him? You could really, like, pick out the details that you want, the stuff, because then that will influence how you decide to respond to the situation yeah. it, it, again you just have this fluidity of of storytelling and the other thing it does which it kind of it does it a lot with loads of other different rules but it really shines in the investigate role is that anyone can roll and investigate even if you have no tags in it but if somebody has taken the time and developed their character to be good at investigating they can succeed with the same dice roll but they will probably have more tags Mm-hmm. So the more tags you roll, the more questions you get. And it's just this sort of outcome where it's a lot more fluid. Everyone can do everything, but you still get your niche. Yeah, it makes it really fun to be an investigate character. Like in the game that we all play together, I'm heavily investigate. All my superpowers are in super senses and that kind of thing. And you get a very satisfying feeling of like seeing that your character has those superpowers because I can ask all sorts of really detailed, obscure things. And I often have more clues than I need. So I get to ask all this weird amount of stuff. And then I, my character can be there sort of creepily suddenly knowing all this information he shouldn't by rights be able to know. And it's really fun. And you get to role play it a lot more because you pick what you're asking. Mm-hmm. And also picking what you're asking sometimes means you go and miss the point entirely because you forget to ask the really pertinent question or yeah. if you're being really in character, you know you should be asking about X, Y, Z, but they're fixated on this dumb detail that you know you have to spend a clue on. And so you're like, uh, you know what, I'm I'm going to have to ask this. I hate myself, but let's yeah. do it. And it, it really feels a lot more involved. It makes you have to engage with them too. And it, it, you end up with such a 
deeper connection with with the character that you've created yeah I feel like in a lot of systems I felt like I'm trying to manipulate the rules in such a way that they allow me to represent the character I've made you know it's like oh are the rules forcing me out of character how do I build my character so that they actually seem like the character they are in my head whereas COM that's not an issue which I think is just the thing that we are going to keep saying again and again throughout this entire review is just the freedom Mm -hmm. that this system gives you so much freedom yeah especially the lack of magic spells is awesome because Mm. for example Alice was playing a character who was a D&D cleric and he had a specific list of spells that were useful and they came up but they were still they were what he did now, mm-hmm. with answers to tags, it's like you can entirely describe the spell however you want and do whatever you want, as long as it involves these elements. So you just you get to be creative and aesthetic with it, and and it's not going to be overpowered because you only have as many tags as your friends do. Hopefully, um, yeah. So if I were to make him in City of Mists, I would have like follower of Axel, um, you know. Uh, damp warlock you know <laughs> frenemy of the sea I'd have tags like mm. that and then I could kind of roll I wish I had frenemy of the sea yeah. as a tag and then I could cut cu- and I could then whenever that I wanted to do something kind of water related or squid related I could basically just try to roll to do it and then it would come back to the moves and like you know the G I'd, I could say oh well I want to bring a wave up and send it crashing at these people or oh I want to make tentacles come out the ground and like grab at their legs and then the GM can go okay well let's go toe to toe because it's like level combat or it's a hit with all you've got because we think you've got the upper hand right now or if you're pushing the boat out as it were, a bit too much, and it's something you've never really done before with your powers, you can do a stop holding back, which is a very, very risky role where it's um, you're very likely to fail and there are huge penalties on you for it. But then if you pass it, you get an epic success. And then from now on, that is also a way you can use your tags. So it's much more flexible. And instead, you know, because again, love Hendrix and, you know, I'm glad people enjoy him, but I just slap people with a tentacle with my bonus action every round and I'm going to Eldritch Blast most rounds because I'm a warlock and I've got one thing that works. But in City of Mists, I could be doing all the weird, squelchy, damp, squiddy stuff you could imagine. I think what will actually really help our, our regular listeners is we will probably put up Skylar and Hendrix and maybe Tyler if um if Alicia has time to um will pop up their stats as they would be in COM we'll pop them up on the Instagram so so you can kind of have a look with characters that you're familiar with and you can see how we would play them in in COM you can understand how the uh, how the theme books work and how the tag system works because it is quite an abstract thing to have to describe you Mm -hmm. do have to kind of wrap your brain around this different way of thinking Um, and I'd say it takes a, a couple of sessions but when you really put the work in then suddenly it just becomes like second nature um, and you're good to go. The the key I found to it is that it's written so that you think like you're in a movie. A lot mm. of times when we've gotten stuck on stuff, it's because we're thinking you literally. When actually you think, imagine the scene is cut. Imagine that you know you are you know able to see things using cinematography and that kind of thing. It, it's very um, 
movie language, mm. which works really well for an engaging story that you want to be involved in. Yeah, and the rule book's written like very purposely like that. Like um, when you're having your turn, it says that the spotlight yes. is on your character and you're kind of narrating um, what's going on in the movie as far as, you know, your kind of character scenes. And then there are special moves like um, flashbacks where once per session you can go, oh, well... Luckily, I prepared earlier and you cut back in time to some other scene um, earlier in the timeline and you can just kind of, you know, make up whatever. Yeah, I've, I brought that rope. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, it's nice for feeling like you're in a crime film, you know, where you can kind of go, ah, this is what I was actually doing the whole time. And then you can hop back in time and set something up, even though you didn't actually plan that from the start. Um, or sometimes we use it for kind of a family guy style cutaway where we add a ridiculous moment to our backstory so that a tag we're rolling is relevant. It's hard to get out of the mindset of needing to pack for a mission or remembering to get everything done. But technically, you, you don't have to. You can get there and go, oh, this is the situation. Oh, OK. Um, well, we'll hop back in time and say that we brought this. And you can also, like, if you have tags and things like always prepared, has good gear, you know stuff like that then you literally can get to us yeah then you can get to a situation and and roll like okay well here here's the gear we brought i want the audience to know right now this is coming from the heart because the person currently talking is the most overprepared player i've ever <laughs> had the fortune to gm for if anyone's going to have packed an entire backpack to go into like a room it's going to be her. So when she's saying, it's nice to be in a system where you don't have to prepare, she's lying. She still prepares. But that's like, we're trying to break her of it. That is my character. He likes to prepare and he doesn't care whether or not the system supports it. <laughs> I mean, people listening know me as Hendrix and Hendrix is very relaxed. I wouldn't say that Hendrix is overly prepared. He just kind of shows up and does an Eldritch Blast and eats some crabs. It, but uh, in another life, I'm a very it different It just feels person. like to me, it sounds like Hendrix is when you go for like a weekend away to detox from the like alcohol abuse. But technically you're going to go back home and go back out clubbing every single night. But you're fine because for one weekend you went to the country. <laughs> so true <laughs> okay so let's talk about the book itself because we we have some strong opinions about how this book is laid out we are in a bit of an abusive relationship with this rule book um because it gives so much and yet it seems mm -hmm. to want to hurt us uh, <laughs> yeah well i sat down and because this rule book is oh you know, a good chunky looking thing. It looks like you know, attractive on your bookcase, about 300 pages long. I sat down and um, tried to write an explanation of the rules for players um, because it was so dense and odd in the way it was written. Not, it's like it's not kind of thick and crunchy like D&D. &D. It's just bizarre and kind of like a long rambling story from a grandparent. So I tried to um, summarize it for players and my document was nine pages long. That was only player instructions. It wasn't all the theme books and GM stuff, but it was still the majority of the rule book and it was nine pages long, son of oak. But we understand that that would look bad in a shop and no one would buy have some, it. So. Have some confidence in yourself, son of oak. It's, it's cruel. It's cruel. It's a cruel book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Come on then. What's so bad about this uh, infamous rule book? It will explain something such as how to set up a scene and they'll do it by explaining the mechanics of doing so, assuming you've never heard of a movie, never heard of a narration, never heard of how to tell a story before. Not even just like 
how to tell an effective story, but how to maybe open your mouth and address other people in a way that is fictional. And I understand having entry-level stuff for people that don't know how to GM properly, but it kind of assumes you've never met another human being before in some cases. <laughs> so you kind of have to read it looking through... It's like a magic eye book. So you sort of cross your eyes to look through the words until you realise what they're trying to mm-hmm. tell you. And, you know, you said a magic eye book. The problem I have with it is that I will kind of phase half out and skim through it, assuming that I can tell what is narrative faff and what is actually a set of rules. Um, and then there'll be one really important combat rule, for example, that's only included in a little fluffy paragraph somewhere that looked like it was just a narrative example and it won't be specified anywhere else. Mm. So you just kind of flick through. And like for ages, I thought certain rules just didn't exist. And it's such a rules light system that when you come to it as a newbie, I found that I was going, oh, well, how do I determine initiative? How do I do this? How do I do that? And kind of going through pre-existing rules from other games and looking for the equivalent in this system and you never know whether they just don't exist here or whether you can't find them yeah it is sort of like the way that the book is laid out means that you go like oh well if I want to know about uh power then everything that I need to know is going to be in this one place and so you start reading through and then you're like why has this not been mentioned here and and you go like skimming through and it's it it shows up it in a in an area that doesn't necessarily make any sense um I really feel like they could have very strongly needed like an index does it even have an index in the book yes I'm having a look and where one would hope to find an index there is instead a five page script of a fictional playthrough of the game and that just tells you everything you need to know about this rule book I would actually like to take a second now to um, directly address people that write rule books for tabletop role play. yeah the the fact that it doesn't have an index I think there are so many occasions where we have just had to kind of go Given this piece of information and this piece of information, we have to assume that this is how you then make the system work. So a good example of this, um, where it does explain it in the rule books, but you have to dig through and really try to make sense of the whole thing, is combat. Um Combat is something that we are still trying to get our head around. And, yeah. Yeah, go on, Rosie. As the GM, what do you think about the way that we've tried to do combat? It's like, bear in mind, okay, so we've been playing this system for three years. And we occasionally have moments where we have one brain cell between us. But in general, we're three fairly intelligent people. Uh, average at least so the fact that it's taken us three years we own the book we've read the book three times and we still can't quite understand the combat is another point that i don't think that's on us that's not our fault and i won't take it as our fault i will not be gaslit by son of oak who we love (laughs) every time we're fighting a collective which is you know like a large group of enemies we stop and ask each other what the rule is every single time it's always the same answer that we give do we just 
I just don't know. If I have to say zero collective is one person one more time, I'm going to burst into tears. <laughs> one collective should be one person. It makes more sense. Yeah, but that isn't the rule. Yeah, they have definitely um, named things in an interesting way. Yeah, and the worst thing for me, and I don't know if I'm wrong, Son of Oak, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how it feels trying to read the rule book. I swear sometimes they change what these new terms mean. You know, they introduce these terms, you learn what they are, and then they're very fast and loose with what they mean when they say tier or take a tier or take a status or take a hit. It, it's very fluid. And sometimes they will say you take a minus two tier or status and sometimes they just say a two status but in both instances it can be something negative and sometimes I'm not sure if it's a minus two or if they're writing tier hyphen two but then they don't always do that and that's the kind of thing we're talking about where you're just guessing the author's intent. (laughs) Yeah it is definitely something where you you do end up just being like this is our home rule because we've had to assume that that's how it works and that and that's fun in its own way yeah. but house rules are a part of the game like D has always had like wherever you go there'll be someone there'll be a list on the fridge of in our house we do this kind of thing but it shouldn't be because you don't understand the rules and you're just desperately trying to bungle something together because you've been asked for the fifth time in two <laughs> weeks what a collective one is yeah absolutely um i think that Going off on combat, which is where that is where the the cracks in this system really do start to show. You can see that this is not a system that had combat in the forefront of its mind. In the forefront was character development, story, uh, and kind of that noir sort of um, investigating, sneaking around sort of thing combat in an actual traditional you have a gun or you have superpowers and you're going to try and kill an npc it 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 is weak um there are no range bands which when we first heard it we were like oh yeah that that's fine that's fine when you actually get to playing though and you're like well i have a gun and that person's where how far away are they? Can I shoot them? Why does this gun not have a stat? Why do I not know if I if they're in range or not? And it does. I mean, how do you guys feel about it? I have found that it's pretty good for supporting. I want to say, quote unquote, realistic gameplay for fighting, where it's like either you have a gun and you shoot them and they're dead, or you avoid getting a hit and you sort of very slowly wear each other away and that kind of like, like how Pikachu's fight in Pokemon the first movie, just the slapping and the crying. But if you are going into this with like wanting to do like map movement and um, critical hits and kind of actual, the more sort of video game sort of more enjoyable for its own sake combat, that's not going to happen because it's just not set up for it. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, it just depends what you're looking for. Like we enjoy both for different reasons. I love getting your kind of war map moment going and working out about range bands and things but at the same time the pace of the game is much quicker with this kind of combat you know like your the experience of combat doesn't kind of interrupt the flow of the game like it, it's 
you deal with combat at the same speed you deal with any other scene and you know not sat there waiting for ages for your turn and then going wait so where on the map is everybody oh hang on let me just flick through the rule book and check these numbers oh can i do this can i do that you just go you know what my character's gonna do this because they're like this let me rattle off the character traits explain why that's true and then i'm gonna blam done it and then someone else hops in and does their thing and it's very very quick and it that would be the same experience as if you were having a debate with characters or if you were trying to craft something together it's all the same kinds of roles the same kind of um logic and yeah the same kind of speed um you don't have that feeling of like okay let's stop role playing now guys now it's the fight bit yeah and and again like there are other games that will move things along just as quickly but this is the first one that's done that and has a depth of immersion to it and makes you think and strategize rather than just a very light sort of roll your dice, play your theme books and get out. It's it's still, it feels like a proper D&D game where you spend 10 hours at the table rolling dice in the sunrises. It's like, it's still that. And like, um, I think all Powered by the Apocalypse spin-off games, the GM never rolls a dice. So combat is very quick and fluid because it's it's player after player rolling to see what they do. And if they fail, then the GM makes a move against them. But there's no turn where you wait for the GM to then make their move. And it's very quick and organic in that sense. Yeah. Like I've always, you know, privately with you guys in the safety of my own home, um, talked about how I personally don't enjoy Dungeons and Dragons, the system. And a part of that is because I wasn't born in 1960. So I've had video games. And like, and I am not in any way saying that I'm right. But the way I, what I go to D&D games for is the creativity and the um, social part of it. I want as little time adding and doing numbers and working in a system as possible. Because the more time you spend adding and rolling dice and discussing um, the nitty gritty of the rules is time where... If I was playing a video game, it would be happening automatically and I could be getting down to playing with the numbers and the system and the level ups and the randomization and all of that like stuff, that all that structure. Yeah. I think that the more you have to do that autonomously, the less fun something is and the less, more it's missing the point. So for me, COM is tabletop roleplay with all of that kind of video game math yeah. removed because it's no longer relevant. Yeah. Mm. Whereas, um, you know, like like you called me out earlier, um, I do enjoy having specific items and knowing exactly what I've got. And um, going back to one of the Star Wars systems we played, not Edge of Empire, but there was a D20 system. Um, and I was a mechanic in that system. And I loved it because there was such a dense, huge book of things you could make and that you could do. And it was really, really specific. And you had to have the right stats to unlock the ability to do the right things. And playing something like a mechanic in that system... I think it's much more satisfying than playing a mechanic in COM because in COM, sure, you know, you're going to get a few like tags um, going against your roles being like, oh, this item is tricky and it's this and it's that. But it's not quite the same as researching it and flicking through and going, aha, there is a solution. It's this and I can do it because I've got this level up and I'm going to go get that thing from over there. And I'm going to I really enjoy that. So I do miss that in COM and um, in the Vampire Masquerade's COM that um, I play um, I've basically demanded a money system so I'm now stressing out about how to afford to pay my bills and get my car that I want but uh, I brought it upon myself and I'm very happy <laughs> uh, yeah and I, I fully understand that like I, I totally get it that's why I would play something like Mass Effect Dragon Age or one of those other kind of loot managing games because if I'm with my friends 
making up a story with them. I want to do as little of that as possible mm. so I can put on a funny voice and play a character. Yeah, I think that um, especially one of the things that I struggle with is um, I, I'm i quite severely dyslexic. Um, yeah. I find reading um, the D&D scale of, of book and all of the rules that kind of cross from thing to thing and homebrews and and you know the extra books and how they all kind of blend together I find that very overwhelming um so I think that if you are someone who really would love to get into doing this sort of game and playing with your friends and being this sort of creative but you are intimidated by the sheer scale of D&D. I think this sort of system is really going to help you get away from that and really get to the actual role play of yeah. it. However, one thing that I do really appreciate in the more number crunchy systems is the loot. Um, I haven't really been able to get fully into this in Dice and Slice, but... It's it's starting to show that I, in particular, love my loot. I love mm-hmm. loot. I will absolutely rip a carcass apart in order to find... She's a one-woman TSA. I, I really will. You take off your shoes and belt before you go through anything near her. I will find anything. <laughs> I've seen her try to roll to ride a speeder from one side of a planet to the other to arrive in time to join in with looting a scene. Yeah. And she was very upset that she couldn't do it. <laughs> I was I was devastated that I wasn't allowed to do that. I had the speeder, I had the will. Tears streaming from her eyes as she was like 80 miles an hour through the statistics. <laughs> yeah, I I really do love my loot. I love the money. Um a- anything, anything I can get my character's hands on, I want it. And that is something that is lacking in this system. Um, unlike in uh, Edge of Empire, the Star Wars game that we did, which I think had an amazing loot system. I saw her eyes change when she said that. Mm-hmm. There was an inhumanity in that. <laughs> the monster just came out. I just, I just <laughs> transported Speeding back. across the planet! <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it. those systems, you know, really do cater to loot and you get to have a lot of very creative um items that you can find that the GM can kind of have up their sleeve. In City of Mist, there is not a there is no loot system. There's no money system. No. You gain tags that just say you have some money or a lot of money or you can go and steal diamonds, you know, mm-hmm. but there isn't there isn't a uh, a checklist of items that you can find unless the gm makes them up and there is that flexibility for the gm to be able to create these items that you can go and find but that is on the gm to do it is not provided for you yeah it's not a very um crunchy game Mm-mm. you don't get lists no. of um objects you know you don't get shopping lists you don't get um like a, a tables or anything like that it's just you make it up and like yeah in a way that's quite enjoyable if you're the GM because you can make up stats. And there are there is actually um, stuff in the book to help you with that. So it has in the back, um, like, you know, a 
couple dozen to a hundred enemies that you can reskin if you want to. Um, and also put on the items because they just give you examples of moves enemies can do to you and you can just stick it on anything you want. So now we all have GM'd in this system quite extensively, but because Rosie is the one who brought it to our attention, I'm going to put the spotlight on her and make her explain the rules. Cool. So NPC creation and danger creation, so obstacles, are basically started the same way and they're really easy to do because every enemy needs some kind of damage track, which you can make up on the spot because five is unconscious, six is dead. If they're weaker than that, you just lower that down. So you have somebody who's a fairly weaselly man. He can be a three will kill him. And it's just, you you get a feel for how difficult the game is after you've played it a little bit. It's kind of impossible to put it down logically until you've played it a couple sessions, but then you start to get a feel for how tough players are versus um, the world around them. So you need to have a way to kill them um maybe other fun things that might have as weaknesses so you might have a guy who's like five or six to kill but then he's two to convince because he's kind of dim you can have that so for every danger you can set up the easiest way to defeat them and the presumed way to defeat them that's kind of what i do and then you put in all the fun stuff so you put in little keywords called you know tags for things that will count for and against the role so i might have a guy who is like a terminator so he's very strong he's very fat he's got a robot arm he's got robot legs he can see in the dark so anytime the player characters roll against him i'll be like okay so you're rolling at a uh, currently a plus four but it's negative two because he's got a robot arm and robot eyes so it's your way of balancing out the rolls against them what i'm learning from this is sebastian can see in the dark <laughs> yeah right <laughs> make a mental <laughs> note <laughs> make a mental note uh and then the final thing you do is you give them any fun side things so, for example, it might be that if you roll an investigate on a danger, it will cost two clues instead of one because they're particularly mysterious. Or it might be that if you physically touch their skin, they can burn themes off you, which is a really fun one. And there's loads of examples in the book of things you can play with and you can make up your own. And those are the three elements. A bad guy in the book that's given to you. Oh, not a bad guy, uh, uh, an NPC in the book. And he's a kid you can approach. He's like some kind of folktale. You can approach him and he'll answer any question truthfully once if you've been in love. Ooh. But it's very, yeah, so it's not any stats. It's just, we give you this opportunity. You as the GM get to ask them, have we ever been in love and was it true love? And if they answer truthfully and say yes, then you can have any, it's a free oracle question. You can have whatever you want. And that's just a great that's thing for really us cool. to support. Right? Um, I love that. And Right, I've been waiting for a chance to use it, but I don't know where I'll put it in yet. Um, and there was one, which is a tar baby, which was uh, which is another folktale thing, where it's a character who is just a normal girl, but she kind of clings to you and is a bit needy, and she won't leave you alone, and she gets needier and clingier and clingier, and whenever she's around, your luck's really bad. So the GM can just keep treating um, successful roles as partial successes until you realise what she is and get rid of her. And again, it's just these things of you, they aren't statted as, as you know, defense and speed and who gets to go first. And it's more like, how do we fuck with the players and make them have to really think about what's going on around them? That's really fun. Cool. So NPC creation and danger creation, so obstacles, are basically statted the same way. And they're really easy to do because every enemy needs some kind of damage track, which you can make up on the spot because five is unconscious, six is dead. 
if they're weaker than that, you just lower that down. So if you have somebody who's a fairly weaselly man, he can be a three will kill him. And it's just, you, you get a feel for how difficult the game is after you've played it a little bit. It's kind of impossible to put it down logically until you've played it a couple sessions, but then you start to get a feel for how tough players are versus um, the world around them. So you need to have a way to kill them. Um, maybe other fun things that might have as weaknesses. So you might have a guy who's like five or six to kill, but then he's two to convince because he's kind of dim. You can have that. So for every danger, you can set up the easiest way to defeat them and the presumed way to defeat them. That's kind of what I do. And then you put in all the fun stuff. So you put in little keywords called, you know, tags for things that will count for and against the role. So I might have a guy who is like a Terminator. So he's very strong. He's very fat. He's got a robot arm. He's got robot legs. He can see in the dark. So anytime the player characters roll against him, I'll be like, okay, so you're probably going to uh, currently a plus four, but it's negative two because he's got a robot arm and robot eyes. So it's your way of balancing out the rolls against them. What I'm learning from this is Sebastian can see in the dark. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> Make a mental <laughs> note. <laughs> Make a mental note. Uh, and then the final thing you do is you give them any fun side things. So, for example, it might be that if you roll an investigate on a danger, it will cost two clues instead of one because they're particularly mysterious. Or it might be that if you physically touch their skin, they can burn themes off you, which is a really fun one. And there's loads of examples in the book of things you can play with and you can make up your own and those are the three elements. Now, what the book does that, again, is, is a problem, is that it goes, they have soft danger moves and hard danger moves. Hard danger moves are the fun stuff, where they can touch you and burn your themes. Then you put in the soft danger moves, and that is how you describe them doing stuff before they do something bad. So soft danger moves is reaching for a gun, or pulling out a whistle to call the dogs, or looking kind of peeved. You don't need to do it if you have any ability to tell a story at all, because you will never need to write it down that your Mr. Burns villain will hover a finger over a button to call the hounds. So that's how you make dangers and NPCs. And again, you'll see, it's one of those things where you acquire it, you get used to it, and then it becomes really easy to crank them out. But it's really fun, and you basically get given little games to fuck with your players mm -hmm. through every single one of them. Yeah, I think what all of us have experienced is that you as the GM can literally show up with nothing prepared and as people go you can be like oh crap they're gonna come across a guard okay well a guard would have body armor um might be a bit dim um is gonna be super strong you know and and loyal to the establishment and you can literally just like that, it's taken me, what, 20 seconds and I've suddenly statted an NPC. Yeah. Larry's father. I'll do that in a second. Larry's father. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It means that the narrative, again, is able to flow uninterrupted. The players never experience a sense of the GM needing to force them down an alley because that alley is where the monster that i've spent all week finding the stats for is down there yeah, i put a fucking blue eyes white dragon down that alleyway and you're gonna fucking play it yeah exactly like that never happens it's a really really good gming system for a first time gm i think i would say it's perfect for a first time gm but not a first time storyteller yes so if you've 
if you've never played GM'd a game in your life, but you do know how to tell a story, even if you just, you know, you've written a fanfic once or something, but you understand how to set a scene, you're done, you're fine. You just take the description of the scene and turn it into tags. It was a dark and stormy night, so it is a dark, tag dark, tag stormy, tag night. And then it's a negative three to look through the mist. I've got an NPC somewhere um, whose tags are the chorus to be a man. Or they oh, make a man out yeah. of you, even. <laughs> Strength why not? raging fire. Yeah, why not? <laughs> one thing I love um, GMing um, in the system, because I GM a lot of games in the system. I've got one set in 1880s urban fantasy. I've got one set in Star Wars because we moved over an Edge of Empires game into this system. I've got um, yeah. one set in... And a D and D. Oh yeah, yeah. You've one D One D and D game. That's it. I've got D and D reskin. Um, but something I love um, in terms of GMing is moves in this are it's like every kind of role is in a way combat so charisma is dealt with in the exact same way as a physical fight um and you know because it's all go toes toes hit with all you got no matter what which means that you can make things very creative when it comes to um like how you use the mechanics to support different situations um for example a game that i run in star wars um, it's very very political so there's lots of trials there's lots of debates there's lots of um verbal back and forth and that's really the focus of the game a lot of the time and so it's interesting twisting the way the mechanics work to go okay well how are we going to stat a court case you know what does that involve people are going to have to go around and you can do change the game roles which get you tags that you can use later to kind of stack up for a big boss fight but you treat a court case the exact same way as you treat a boss fight and that's a lot of fun yeah i think i think in i think in that game one of my favorite moments from that was when I had to negotiate a, a um, licensing agreement for a, a rap album that my character was releasing and I had to have a whole session and I had to go and do all my change the game roles and get all my research, do all my investigates, make sure that I had everything that I needed. And then I went in and had to do this face to face with an NPC group of lawyers and argue for what I wanted. And it was one of the most fun things that I, I've gotten to do in a system in a way that I just didn't think that a, a tabletop system could support. I, I love that in that game, you have gone dealt with trials over murder cases. You've debated people's civil rights. You've um, dealt with... Um, you know, all sorts of really serious meetings, and the one you picked was your yeah. rap album. <laughs> because, because it's the best example of just how like off the wall, yeah, you can you can make it. Yeah. In this system, we've done a shootout in a bar. We've done a casino royale. We've done legal trials. You guys have. We've done wacky races set in feudal Japan. We've mm -hmm. done. Uh, Star Wars, D&D, Cyberpunk, we have covered so many different genres and we've never had to reskin or re-rule anything. We, we have mm -hmm. done our own home, home base rules, we have, because that's what every group does, but we've, it's never been because the rules were wrong. We've always just been able to mess with everything in that way. It's all the same roles, all the yeah. same stats, all the same history going on, and it's just yeah. covered everything in a way that feels real and dramatic. 
So, all right. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. I hope this has been enlightening. Put just a, a little bit of time and willpower into understanding this rule book. You will get a system from it that if you're into storytelling, it's going to change how you how you play. And if you want to get a better idea of how COM works and kind of see it in action, um, we are actually going to be releasing a little special uh, two-parter City of Mists yes. episode on the Dice and Slice channel. We're going to be taking a little pause from Dice and Slice and uh, we're going to be forcing Josh to play and uh, you get yeah. to see us all with our City of Mists face on for something a little bit silly and a little bit spooky for the spooky season. Yeah, you are all going to be blessed with my GMing style. Can you give us a little clue about the concept? No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be an entertaining twist on your sort of stereotypical um, teenagers having to look after themselves in a deadly situation, but uh, with some familiar faces. Mm -hmm. Yep, the player characters are going to be quite familiar to a lot of you. Should be a lot of fun. So, do we want to plug the socials or something? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to follow Dice in a Slice, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and I believe Twitter at Dice in a Slice. That's an N, not an and. Uh, and you can follow uh, a little side project that Rosie and I are doing on Woo! Instagram. Woohoo! At goodroad underscore short film. Gay cowboys, you'll love Gay it. Gay cowboys. If you're here, you'll love it. And Blue Apron, if you're listening, we are open for any kind of thing you want to send us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, guys. Take it easy and we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Cue that theme music. Bye.